You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. All right, um, it's great to be here with everyone. I hope you're doing good. Um, okay, I'm genuinely very worried about this cup of coffee, so I'm just... Thank you. Okay, so I love exchange because we get to talk about the word. Not like we don't talk about the word in the morning service. So let's not make a mistake about that. Okay, Samba, do you want to come this way so that my, my, folk, my line of sight is, is one directional? That's a chair for you right there. Prepared specially, has your name on it. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. We're grateful for the grace to be gathered once again to learn at your feet. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come and do that which you can in our hearts. Speak to us. Uh, Give us a word. And help us. Help us see that which you want us to see. Help us glean the knowledge that we need to glean. And let our lives be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you were, I know majority were in the morning service, um, which makes my work easy or easier. Uh, But for the benefit of those who didn't make it morning service, we started talking about righteousness this morning, the gift and practice of righteousness. And I'm just going to continue from where we stopped. I didn't even have this many, I think I only had two things this morning. Now I have three. And it's supposed to be, what, 30 minutes. It is well long. Okay, so gift and practice of righteousness. We're going to be reading quite a number of scriptures. Thank God it's exchange. So everybody bring your Bibles out. Or bring your gadgets. Uh-huh. We will read scripture. Morning service, we just rush through. But this evening service, we will we'll probably even read, read it in different translations. Self. Okay, so can someone help me open to Romans 10? 10? So I'm going to share a few scriptures that I didn't reference in the morning. Um, just to keep things fresh by God's grace. Um, especially because majority of us were in the morning service. So we didn't read out of Romans 10, 10 this morning. Let's, let's start from there. Romans 10, 10. Yeah? Is someone there? Please go ahead and read. Okay, so the focus is the first part of that. The heart that believes receives the righteousness of God. You know, it's amazing how you learn certain scriptures in certain translations, and that's what sticks with you. For with the heart, man believes Oh, actually, it's believeth. <laughs> that's the scripture, or that's the translation we learned. With the heart, man believeth, you know, um, unto righteousness. Thank you for that. Uh, can someone else read Romans 5.17? Romans 5.17. Anybody there? Okay, go ahead. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, 
But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For who receives it will live in triumph over sin and death through this woman, Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Again, we see another reference there to righteousness. But this time around, this is referenced as the gift of righteousness. Please indulge me. I know that they have said that our generation is not KGV we read. But can someone help me read that scripture in NKGV? It's just very familiar. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. 17, yes. It says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay, so those who receive the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus. So through one man, which I referenced in the morning, death came. But through another man, we receive the gift of righteousness. So Paul makes these two very important statements here in the same book, the book of Romans here. You know, the first thing is that with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And the second thing he references is the fact that we have received the gift of righteousness. And that's where we're starting out um, this evening's conversation from. We have received the gift of righteousness. Um, and in the morning, a few things that we have said, just for the benefit of people that weren't here is that righteousness is the state of being acceptable. So um, I got feedback that maybe the definition of righteousness wasn't very clear in the morning. Uh, I know one of the things I had said was righteousness is the state of being acceptable to God in nature based on God's standards. And I'm going to use another definition, which is the one we are very familiar with, which is God, uh, righteousness is right standing with God. I wonder though, um, if that's, definition has ever confused anybody, which was why I was very deliberate not to use it in the morning. Because there's a way you think right standing with God, and it does, um, if, if you do not understand the concept of righteousness, there's a way you can assume you need to do stuff to be in right standing with God. That was why I was very careful to avoid it, and I described every, um, I described the concept of righteousness as the gift that we receive. One of the things that is also very important to note when you think about righteousness, I'm, I'm, I'm going to attempt to break it down. I know that we have spiritual juggernauts in the room, but just bear with those, the likes of Pastor Dami, Pastor Demi, Pastor Dami and Pastor Demi and Pastor Dolly. Just bear with the rest of us mere mortals as we are playing catch up, you know. Um, but I find that righteousness is one of the grossly misunderstood concepts in our Christian faith. Because when someone is trying to describe to you what righteousness looks like or what it is, it appears as though it has to do with them and what they have to do. And it is very easily misunderstood um, or, or forgotten that it is what God does for us through Jesus. It is the gift that he bestows on us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Another thing I should mention here when we think about righteousness is the fact that it is not by our efforts. So, just in case you've ever thought that you were righteouser or you can become the righteousest person, and I'm saying that deliberately, more righteous or the most righteous. So you don't become more righteous than you are. In fact, there is no measure for righteousness. And here's what I mean. If Sam and I stood today, and per chance or perhaps God is looking down and he's trying to, to 
assess our lives. He can assess our lives based on our levels of spirituality, how much of him we know and how much of him we're becoming like, but not whether Sam is more righteous than I am or I am more righteous than Sam. There is no measure because it's the same level of righteousness that Christ imputes to us. Does that make sense, anyone? I hope we're getting, um, we are beginning to understand righteousness a whole lot more. So when we are striving and laboring, I spoke in the morning about how, you know, when I first got born again, I thought it was, I, I thought there was stuff I needed to do to earn God's approval, to be more loved by him, you know, to be more holy, to be more righteous. And I failed to understand that I had already received a gift. And that gift does not increase or decrease in nature. That's the concept of righteousness, Okay. So I thought to make that uh, clarification. Now we're going to do a quick discussion and I want us to go into um, James 5, very popular scripture in the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. So while we're flipping through the scriptures, let me just, for the sake of feeling like I ran through my notes, Righteousness is also the believer's identity. We mentioned that in the morning. It's the believer's identity. It is our nature and not a set of activities. And we don't attain righteousness by deeds or self-efforts. The gift of righteousness makes us blameless and acceptable to God. So are we in James 5, please? Please, if someone is there, go ahead and read. James 5, 17. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we Can were. Can you use NKJV? Okay. Just bear with me, please. No Today I'm on a KJV mood. I'm trying not to do purely KJV. But just, again, it's because the, the, the terms that I'm familiar with there, I want to hear them utilized because I, I want to break them down. Okay? So we can read another translation, but let's start with that first. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Okay, so pause before you go to verse 17. Let's just stop at 16 there. Again, we see the word there, righteousness. And so this is the question. When you read the scripture here and it says to you the effective or the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In another translation, it says it makes tremendous power available. What does that mean to you as an individual? You see, because scripture says... Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So when we pray and we ask God for more faith, really what we need is more knowledge. You know, the more of God you know, the more of his word that you understand, the more your faith um, is increased. So what does this mean? Every time we read that, and it's a scripture we quote a lot in church. The effectual, maybe the person who's leading prayers wants you to pray more wants you to open up your mouth and shout. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much, makes tremendous power available. 
When you say it, what does it mean to you? Yeah? Anybody? Because we see that word there again, righteous. Now, with the understanding of righteousness that you have, and then you read this scripture, what does that mean to you? Right, so it means that anybody who has this state of being, um, if they choose to communicate with God in an effectual and fervent way, because of that state of being that they have and because they've chosen to, to communicate with God effectually and fervently, then they will, that, that prayer will, it will access, it will give them access to a lot of power so that what they want will come to pass. Okay, very nicely put. Thank you, like a bishop. <laughs> For me, do you have, a, do you have a, a simpler version of that response? you agree it was simple okay anybody else what do you want to, you you want to share okay let's move on then so let me help somebody who's probably in the room and feeling like okay the effectual or effective fervent righteous avail all in one statement just one sentence you have all of these like four packed powerful packed words in there you know so there's a way my prayer needs to be positioned for it to um be effective or for it to 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 be answered for me to get the the request that i am offering up through that prayer but i find that a word that sort of limits us from appropriating this scripture, even believing that it's possible that it's you and I being referenced in there, is the word righteous. So prior to now, if you've never had an understanding of what righteousness is, um, what righteousness meant, there's a way you would look at that scripture and feel like, well, I guess the reason why my prayers were not answered is because I am not righteous, you know. But with the understanding we have now of righteousness, that it is a gift and it does not diminish in nature or in stature or in potency or in, you know, frequency that we are righteous because we are God's children. So we don't become more righteous as we mature in our walk with him. So it, it means that a baby Christian, someone who gets saved, and somebody who's been saved for donkey years, one person's maturity, uh, sorry, one person's righteousness is not more than the other because it's the same measure that has been applied. So I'm taking that into this scripture, it means that this scripture is talking about you and I. Effective, fervent prayer of Busola, of Dami, of Fumi, of Ruby makes tremendous power available. And the next verse there helps us understand this better. It buttresses it. Can someone please read for us from verse 17? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Eighteen. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Fantastic. So, you see, the scripture is, uh, the, the word of God is very, or the Bible now, 
the Bible, not the word of God, but the Bible in, in, in its written form. I find that the use of words and the, it's, it's very intentional. So after describing the type of prayer that needs to be prayed by a righteous man, then goes on to tell us Elijah, case study for this righteousness. How many of us are familiar with the lifestyle of Elijah, who he was and what he was about? Would you, prior to now, you understand, because there's a way we righteousness is holiness and there's a way we look at it and it's, it's you know, almost a Pharisee-like type lifestyle prior to your refined understanding of the word righteousness or your informed understanding of it. But would you have attributed righteousness to Elijah but for the fact that scripture said so? Is this someone that you naturally have attributed righteousness to? Why not? Angry. Was an angry guy. I agree. Exactly. Got depressed at some point and was suicidal. Killed 300 prophets. I mean, the list goes on and on. He was used powerfully by God. Yes, Ruby? I think because righteousness is, like you said, very Pharisaic, I envision someone who's, I guess, more arranged. It's the same way sometimes I don't consider John the Baptist very righteous. Um, he was very unrefined. Elijah was very unrefined and sometimes inconsistent, particularly with how he went and withdrew into the cave just after doing some mighty things. So he would just, one day he's amazing, one day he's like, God, where are you? And I'm like, are you sure you have the right subscription to, the, to this God we're talking about? So yeah, he wasn't, that's, it was because of that. Mm. I love it. Thank you all for your responses. And you're very correct. I mean, put that side by side with a, a Noah. Who would you say was more righteous? Noah. Noah. Because, I, I, again, yeah, I would choose a Noah over an Elijah. Elijah was a power man. Yes, he demonstrated a lot of power. But when the chips were down, the guy was suicidal. I can't imagine how Noah lived in a time where he was the only one he was weird, yes. I mean, he was, but you can't blame his kind of weirdness. So, okay, let's, pro let's process it like this. Before the storm, I'm sorry, before the flood, Noah before the flood, Noah after the flood, I don't know what went wrong with him. <laughs> and he was getting drunk and sleeping naked. I don't know what happened to him. But Noah before the flood, scripture says that he was a just man. He was the only one. I mean, in, like, that, that's, that's enough to be depressed. Like, that's a life, life of isolation. Like, there's nobody you are on the same wavelength or frequency with. There's nobody you are talking about God, you know. And then God is not asking you to do something that is crazy, like never done before. Like, you don't even know what an ark looks like. And then you have to start to explain to everybody who is asking you what is going on. You, say, Hi. you first scratch your head and say, well, God said. God, there are people that cannot, they did not see, they don't, you know, they can't interact with him. They, they had no knowledge of him. They were just doing their own thing. So it was super weird to have lived at such a time. But here was Elijah who lived at a time where there were other fellow believers. Let me, you call them believers somewhat, you get. But thought he was alone. And because of that was suicidal. And felt like, God had to remind a guy. I have 7,000, there's a remnant. Don't even think, don't be confused. So, but look, at that's the same guy. You want to say something, Samuel? Let's take your comment. 
No, so I, I think when Ruby said something about being army fine, I mean that that sort of like triggered something because I was thinking between um, Elijah was army fine, but it was authentic, right, in terms of expression with his feelings. Likewise, John the Baptist. So it's just something about God using, and I think. Um, the journal. Moses, yeah. Moses was very expressive. Moses was quite expressive. See, there's something about, because I know in Purpose Driven Life, there's a part that speaks about being authentic with your feelings. It's just something about being um, authentic with how you Authentically or refined. Yeah, no, yeah, that, you know, God finds it easier to use you. Should I say, is it easier? Is that the word? Yeah, to use someone like that as opposed to someone that's, that, that tries Put to together. hide Yeah, mm. that, that tries to portray themselves in a certain way, you mm. know, to, to, to conform to the world, mm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you ask, a very, you ask a very, very thought-provoking question, you know, because as you're speaking now, the only example that comes to mind for the other side now, which is maybe the refined, put-together and, um, you know, looking a certain way to the world, aside from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would be your, maybe your young rich ruler, you know, who had checked boxes and, you know, played by the books. But when the chips were down and Jesus would ask him a very simple sacrificial question. Meanwhile, all these other guys you mentioned, they, had, they took on death type assignments, you know. They took on assignments that they weren't necessarily sure they were going to come back from or come alive from, you know, and they were human. So you, you do have a point. I don't know, however, if it was a function of um, God finding it easy to use them. Again, scripture says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So I know that the fundamental basis for decision would typically be the heart, the state of heart of any man. So obviously there was something about the state of heart of, I mean, aside from the fact that John the Baptist was <laughs> called from, this, from his mother's womb, he hadn't, there was no way of escape for him, you know. Uh, Moses, it has a, a dramatic story of God planning to use him even before he was born. So... It, I don't know that he had a way of escape. Um, Elijah, God called Elijah as a prophet and used him mightily. But all of these guys were human. Uh, and their humaneness came to bear. It, it showed. You know, Moses would get angry and God would... Something I said in the morning service about consequences of action. So God is merciful. But there are consequences for action. And we see these things play out. So... I would say that it is the state of the heart of a man that God would um, determine or use in, in, in determining how he walks with the man or how he walks with the man or he walks through the man. So your young rich ruler who, with all of his riches, despite having told the path of righteousness in his sense by fulfilling everything the Torah said to do, could not make a sacrifice, a major sacrifice, which was for him to sell off his belongings and give to the poor and come and follow Jesus. For him, that was way off limits. 
So I don't know that it's about being put together, but rather the heart. And it goes to show you the heart of the guy, really. Because interestingly, Jesus doesn't even condemn him or say oh, there's, some, there's a problem with him. But it shows you where his priority, priorities lie. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So his heart is in the things that he owned, the material things. Every other thing he could do were not necessarily sacrificial, you know. But the heart showed you what was important to him. So it almost feels like, um, oh gosh. Uh, so these guys, if I had seen these guys in their time, I would have called them extremists. All right? So it almost, it almost feels like God uses, God likes, would like to use, because people that, they're kind of like people that, once they believe in something, they're willing to go all out for it. Right? They're not going to conform again to the world standard. And so if you even look at, um, even our own time now, some of the guys have done great things. You know, they were extremists. Like, a, like a Steve Jobs was an extremist. When you, you have, I mean, his values and things, and he followed them to the very end. Do you understand? And some of those things, we are benefiting from them now. So it almost feels like there's a certain um, line of thinking that, you know, again, God is merciful and all, but once we get there, it's almost like it's easy for God to, be, to use us. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't, again, I, won't, I don't say easier because that might not really be the case, but it's because it, you're not holding back. You're not, you're not conscious of world standard. I think it was, what was, it, what was the name of this guy that you recommended again? Woodrick or um, that preacher, yeah. Anyway, I heard a message. Yeah, I think Murdoch, yeah. Is it Murdoch? Mike Murdoch. Mike Murdoch, yeah. Is it Mike Murdoch? Anyway, I, I, would, I can't remember his name exactly. And I was, he said something similar that, you know, where he is at this point, he's not conscious of world standard anymore, that he's willing to do what God will say he should do, as opposed to, oh, being cautious. And I think he highlighted things like vaccine and things like that. But, but my point is really that he almost feels like, you know, for you to, for God to be able to fully use you, there's a certain place you need to get to, certain uh, mindset you need to have, that entails no, no holding back and not conforming to the mm. world standard. Yeah. Again, I would say that you are correct because Elijah was a non-conformist. In his day and time, where prophets were either for the fear of death, fear of losing their lives, you know, were jumping ship, where it was convenient for him to, you know, follow the prophets of Baal or Baal and, and danced to their tune and all. He stuck with God. Even in the face of recognizing that this was potentially a death sentence, you know, he still stayed with God. And I think there was something you were trying to speak to, which is about tunnel vision or, you know, being laser focused. I think with every, and, 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 Again, let's process this as humans. You have a child or you have a colleague or you have a team member. You lead a team at work. And you have a team member 
who completely embodies the values that you've been trying to drive or do you, the values of the organization and then even localizing it to the values of your team, who's very um, big on the vision and the mission and the goals that you are, your team is trying to achieve. Someone who sleeps it, dreams it, talks about it. Someone who comes to you every day with brilliant ideas on how you guys can achieve your target. Please, how will your heart beat towards that person compared to someone who's just marking, marking time and trying to get a paycheck? And you can very clearly see that this person is just playing to the gallery. Um, employee A or employee B, who is going to be your favorite? Naturally. Naturally. And this is not saying God has favorites. But hey, God would look at some people, as much as it is that he loves us all, he would look at, look at a David and say, he's a man after my heart. This guy, oh, get me. Bah. You know? He loves me, die. This guy is my, he's my guy. He would look at an Abraham and say, he's my friend. Shall I do this thing and withhold it from my friend? Shall I not notify my friend Abraham that I'm about to do this? So, hence why God is calling us to a higher level of intimacy with him, ultimately. And it is easier to invest in your friend. It is easier to get your friend on top of something that matters to you, on top of something that is priority to you, than to go and work with an outsider because of lack of availability of your friend. Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to say God reasons like him. I mean, hey, his reasoning is way above ours. But because we are like him, we can very easily pick some of the patterns from the things that he does by just our day-to-day -day living because he created us for communal living. So the way you will not go and carry the thing that matters to you and give it to a dog or a, or a swine, it's the same way God will not commit resources or commit the things that matter to him, the things that matters of the kingdom, and place it in the hands of someone who, will, who has zero interests about it. Even when God will not find someone, I'm, I'm reminded of that scripture, I can't remember where it is now, maybe Demilade or Daniel, you guys can help me out there, somewhere in Isaiah, where it says, I will call a bed, a bed of prey from a man, a, man, a man from a distant country. He was referring to Cyrus then. Cyrus wasn't a Jew. Cyrus was not born again. But he needed someone that would do his, his bidding. I mean, think about it. The, the Bible is very few of the, the words in there to describe the kind of heart or the kind of relationship that Abraham had with God as a heathen. Is, there's not much we can, we can get. But as we go along, we begin to see things that point to us, that, that make us understand that this guy was sold out to God. I mean, someone you don't, you don't know, your fathers did not know. You, you, Jonathan, it wasn't like um, the way Jacob and Isaac and all of the other guys understood the God of Abraham. Because he taught it, you know, scripture says he, he taught his household. It wasn't that way for Abraham. So how did, how did Abraham know God? How did he know to respond to God? How did he know to get up without any clarity? A lot of us are very, we're very scared of uncertainty. When God says to get up and go, how does he know to display that? And, and it was attributed to him as faith. How does he know to engage with God on that journey? So 
again, just to wrap up the response to that question, and while you were asking that question, the scripture that came to mind is, again, I don't know where it is, so you can search it out, Google it, but it says, um, if your eye be single, your whole body will be flooded with light. So there is a single tunnel vision focus that God requires of us. Because there are too many things that are contending for our attention in our world. That is even making this walk of, and this practice of righteousness that we're talking about in the morning, makes it difficult. Because there are so many things coming at us. But if our eye be single, if it be focused on the one that matters the most, if we embrace his priorities, then life is a lot easier to live. And that's why you would refer to those guys in the scripture as extremists. Because it was like they were one-way traffic. They are the bar-we-re-messy type of people in our day and age. For non-Yoruba speakers, meaning people who collected madness with religion. You have a question. Please go ahead. No, um, wait, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I wanted to say that... Um, so are you saying um, it's important to have... Um, to be fulfilled with... Um, to be okay and satisfied with being righteous. So I think righteousness is, is a little easier to be righteous if you're full, like content with it. Like, so you don't feel like you're missing out on... I don't, do you know what I'm saying? So are you saying like you have to be, be, ha like be okay with it, be happy with it, that like it's not hard to be, to be righteous? I, I don't know. Are you saying like if you're happy with it, it's not, it gets easier? Okay, so I missed the last part. Am I saying that if you are happy with being righteous, yes, like you're it's not like hard. It's, it gets easier. It so gets easier, easier to live the life. Yes, uh, okay. to practice righteousness. To practice righteousness. Yeah. Well, yes, in a sense. But beyond just being happy with it, it's your identity. And so let me use this very carnal example. And I said something in the morning that carnal is not necessary, does not necessarily mean sin. Okay, carnal is your human nature. Okay, your five senses. So I'm Nigerian or I'm born Nigerian. That is my what's now, my identity here on earth. That's how I interact. If I'm going to fill forms, if I have a green passport and all. And Nigeria is what it is, yeah, getting better. But I am okay being Nigerian because I know that, well, my life isn't determined by my location because I am positioned separately or differently from my current earthly location my position in the spirit. Now, the body that I used to interact with uh, on this earth is, is this flesh, right? It's the, the container. But I am primarily spirit, okay? So I'm happy with my identity because I understand. Oh, careful, sorry, dear. So sorry. Please, I hope you did not. No, 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 it's okay. That's why I wanted to put it down. So sorry. It's not, I hope it's not hot. Sorry. So I'm, I'm not trying to um, 
be American, while it is good to have a second, you know, nationality, you know, it's great. But I'm okay because I have an understanding of, let's say I'm, I'm a son of Isaka. I have an understanding of the times of Nigeria. And I know what God has said to me, yada, yada, yada. Now, righteousness as my identity is who I am. So whether I am happy or not, it does not make me less Nigerian. And it doesn't make me more Nigerian. I may not like Nigeria today, but it does not change the fact that I am Nigerian. Tomorrow morning, I can wake up because I received a word from God that has told me that, don't worry, in this Nigeria, you'll be all right. And your children will be all right. And I am happy. It doesn't make me more Nigerian. So righteousness as my identity, whether I am happy with it, or I am sad because I feel like FOMO, I'm missing out on the good life, you know, on the side of the world, does not make me more righteous or less righteous. And it doesn't make the, um, it doesn't make me more righteous or less righteous, but it does affect the practice of righteousness because my heart starts to yearn for things that are outside. If you were, you were in service this morning when I read that scripture about the practice of sinning, so there is the practice of sinning, there's the practice of righteousness. So my heart starts to desire the things that are on the other side because I feel like I'm missing out on stuff. But it doesn't make me less righteous or more righteous. But the challenge with that is my, 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 my carnal self starts to desire these things. And I, once I start to chase after them, I start to practice um, a lifestyle of sin that does not glorify God. And what sin does is to bring me into enmity with God. And so I displease him. Again, back to priority. The life of righteousness that I have received, who, it's for whose benefit. It pleases God. And I'm better for it. Because my eternity with him is assured as I continue to journey with him. And my life, I have been separated from the norm from the, from, from the state, the natural state of the world. I'm, an, I'm expected to deliver. So just like the question he asked, can God entrust certain things into my hands as his child? Where my heart is gravitating towards the things that displease him, the things that, are in, that bring me into enmity with him, the things that separate me from him until I recalibrate, until I come into, until my character is developed, until I stop desiring those other things and my heart starts to yearn for the things that please him. Then I find fulfillment in my walk with him and he's able to entrust whatever it is he wants to entrust into me. But he gives us grace and the Holy Spirit is there to help us on this journey. So sometimes our hearts would genuinely desire. I mean, isn't there anyone here who sometimes really just feel like, okay, this is church and you all are born again. But I will say, at some point in time in my Christian walk, all oh, this don't sleep with somebody, don't sleep with somebody. Don't sleep. What is it? Say, God, all these urges and so Is it you, not you that gave us? I asked questions, you know. So you all are probably righteous and you never thought in that direction, which is great. But... So I think um, you, you answered the question. I just feel like, because, um, so I like that you touched on sinning, um, but I've always felt like 
righteousness um, is in, you know, sinning, you know, it's, it's a big part of it, but like your heart is, like having a clean heart is very important. So I used to, can you hear me? Yeah, okay, yes, yeah. okay. Like having a clean heart is very important. So I used to have that, because um, I've never really had a problem with like, the major sins. I don't know if that makes sense. Like the things that people found, like that has never been, yeah. you know, and I've always been grateful for that. So that has, but like, it's just maybe having just the small, the smaller things or just like have not, you know, having a clean heart and not forgiveness, just those kinds yeah. of things. Jealousy, mm, anger. Yeah. Mm, just like, mm. you know, gossiping. Gossipy. Yeah. Just things like that. So wouldn't you say that like your heart is also, you know, very also like, as very crucial, if not like, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And yes, I agree. The stage, is that a question or a comment? No. Follow-up question, okay. Um, because, so, the way I was taught righteousness, I'm sure my brother can relate, is um, you divide it into right standing and right doing, right? And right standing was basically what we've been speaking about today, which is just knowing your position by virtue of being um, one with Christ, being the righteousness, yeah. But it's the right doing part that was very tricky because for a long time, I couldn't understand how I would deal with certain things, vices, right? Um, and then I'll come and pray and then go to answer my prayer. To me, it made no sense because it's like, how, how does that work? Kind of like what Sam was saying, how like Elijah had silly anger, right? And, you know, he would... He would still be exactly so. I feel like that for me was just, it's been a bit of a, I mean, obviously now I know better, but for a very long time, it used to trouble me. Um, because, yeah, they say right standing, right doing, okay, well, the righteous of God, but like Paul would say, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. How am I supposed to deal with that? So I feel like that usually is something that I used to deal with. Oh, sorry, I wanted to just um, drop a comment. The, the, the one thing that, that this has reaffirmed for me, which I think might answer some of your questions, is that once you're a Nigerian citizen, there are certain rights and privileges that are accrued to you, and they're irrevocable. And I think that that's, that's kind of the thing that makes that state of righteousness be appealing to you, because all of a sudden you're able to look at it and think, wait, wait, just because of this, like, I'm suddenly, it's like somebody telling you that the minute you get a Nigerian citizenship or a Canadian citizenship, the first thing, the government sends you $10,000 into your account. And just like that, like for no, for no other reason, like those are some of the things that give me like pleasure and make me realize, okay, well, I might not necessarily, I think part of the good thing, part of the thing is that the devil has great PR. So you don't, you, if you're not aware of the benefits that accrue to you just by virtue of your right, sta right standing, I'm not even talking about right doing, your right standing, you, you will start, like, like, you know, like Jacob and Esau, you will try and trade in something of superior value for, so that's one of the things that, and that's the reason why even that scripture we read about effectual and fervent prayer. Um, there are times that we pray prayers that are not effectual or fervent, but just by virtue of our right standing, we receive the blessing or we receive the benefit. So it's those things that make me realize that, man, yeah, it's not really so much about what I do. It's actually just the fact that I am in a good position with God and I have access. That kind of so, so based, off what, based off what Bishop said, just asking. So in that scripture, is that scripture speaking about right standing or right doing? Because there are certain 
instances in the Bible where, for example, David, right? When he stepped to Bathsheba and his son was ill. Yeah, okay, yeah, righteousness and everything. But we know that his prayer did not work, despite the fact that he was a righteous man. Even though he had confessed and he has put himself in sackcloth and ashes, his prayer still didn't work. So that's where it can kind of like get confusing. Again, consequence. Yeah, I was going to say that, actually. Because, again, there are consequences to things, right? I mean, there's God's mercy because then again, there was Solomon that came from that, right? And that scripture, just to mention, because you asked the question, yeah, so before you go ahead, mm-hmm. that scripture speaks to both, that effectual, uh, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man. Asking if it's just right standing or right. It's right standing and doing. Because, the, the, in fact, the type of prayer there is qualified. It is effective and it is fervent. And today we're not talking about prayer, so we will not do a deep dive on what effective and fervent prayer means. But, yeah, so it's, it's a mix of both, actually. Thank, thank you, actually, Daniel, for what is the right standing and the right doing. That, I mean, that helped a lot, just to point that out. But I think also it's also important to also understand. I remember one time we were having, like, a Bible study session. Excuse me. And Demiladi asked, um, what was the question again, Demiladi? I think... Um, what does grace mean to you? And what does mercy mean to you? And it's funny because, I mean, like, ah, this kind of setting, you're asking us, we obviously know we know now. <laughs> I like, but it was important because, you know, he then asked each of us to explain what it meant. And I think you said, it was a simple term, you said grace is, um, you know, God giving you the power to do what you're not able to do by yourself. And mercy was, um, you know, God, um, what do you, how, do you, how do you explain it again? Please help me with that. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mercy. <laughs> mercy is God, um, essentially God giving you what you don't deserve, if I'm not correct. Yeah, God um, not giving you what you deserve. God not giving you, pardon me. Yeah, exactly. Deserve, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks, teacher. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, what, what that did for me was. The next time I, I prayed about grace, it was easier for me to paint pictures in my heart. And I was more deliberate about my prayer when I was asking for grace. It wasn't just some feeling of uh, grace, you know, and that kind of thing. And I think it's very important, like, you know, like what you said again, righteousness, right standing, and right doing. And I don't know, I just want to show you the comment, really. It's not a question. All right. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, I would like to speak to what you said, yes. which is something that I've also personally struggled with, and I'm still a work in progress, right? So um, one thing the Holy Spirit has taught me is he's not just my friend when I think I have everything right and clean, right? He's also my friend when it seems like I don't have a clean heart. And the fact that you can recognize that you have maybe jealousy or you gossip, or do all those kind of stuff, is also maybe the Holy Spirit pointing out things that we need to work on together, yeah. right? So it's not just, oh, I have, um, I struggle with certain things, so I need to work on it. What the Holy Spirit has taught me is, I point this out to you, then we work on it together. So I think the struggle is usually when, oh, I gossip, so how do I make this work? The Holy Spirit has taught me that um, it is me and him together working on certain things to make sure that um, in that clean 
clean heart state, although I feel like the clean heart state is probably um, also the thinking of you have to do something to be righteous. You are already righteous, right? And I feel like that's why the scripture that says um, coming to the throne of grace with boldness. If you're already right, why do you need boldness? If I'm right, I'm going to just open the door and come in. But it's because we know that sometimes we don't get things right. So we need to know that we are righteous and we should have that boldness to come to God to walk things right, to get things right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Come boldly before the throne of grace where you obtain mercy and you find grace to help you in time of need. I mean, she's answered the question very beautifully because I didn't want us to lose sight of that question about the cleanness of our hearts. Because the truth is, um, something I said in the morning is we live in a fallen world, yeah? And by default, man is in a fallen state. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus and we become born again, we receive, um, what was that scripture in? I think it was in Isaiah that I read out from in the morning about receiving garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness, yeah? So we're clothed differently, that is our new identity, and which is why I really like the response she's given. When you operate from the place of your identity, just as also as Dim Ladi has said, it really doesn't matter how you are feeling. It doesn't matter what it is that you have done. The access exists to be able to come back to your father and to make things right with him. And I like how you have qualified this sin. Now, it's not any of the big ones. <laughs> it's not any of the ones that requires elephant and lion. Back in the days, it is just the turtle dove and the pigeon mm, and the snail, you know. So I like how you've qualified it. But either ways, um, I, the effects of, of sin is this. Whether it is a besetting sin, whether it is a willful disobedience, whether it is sin out of ignorance, whatever it is, is that the enemy capitalizes on that to put us in a place of guilt shame and condemnation and make us feel like we have become less righteous but what this is saying is in spite of our not of our wrongdoings sometimes we still maintain this right standing with god and our responsibility is to course correct so the holy spirit is one of the things that i need to land actually how do we practice this lifestyle of righteousness? How do, what, what is the practice of righteousness? The Holy Spirit is so critical to this journey. It is super important. You want to ask a question? Yeah, yeah no. I, so the reason why I had to like, you know, put... No, 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 no I get It's no, fine. It's fine. No, Don't worry. We're no, just teasing was, you. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I know. No, it's mainly because I've... So I wanted to address like... What I was trying to address was thinking you are righteous when you are not because you don't do the things that like most mm. people frown upon. Do you know what I'm saying? So usually I'm, I'm always so like, so people always say, oh, you're the model child like in my own household because right. I don't, you know, I, you I don't drink, you don't I smoke. Don't, yeah, I don't do any and I'm very well mm. behaved. So <laughs> you don't sniff. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought he was about to say he's a lie. Like I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was just asking you, do you sniff? If you don't drink, you don't smoke. Do you sniff? <laughs> no, no. No, 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 I don't. So, I know now. Um, so, 
so because of that, like the the things like you know not being able to forgive and all those things, I didn't think there was a big the really deal. subtle ones that people don't see. Yes, I just mm. thought there wasn't a big deal. I just thought, oh, and I genuinely for the longest time I thought like you know I was you know straight. I was like ah you know I'm making heaven now. Like there's no you know there's nothing. Me no, that's not the case. That's what I was trying to say. Like mm. you know mm. thinking you're righteous when you're not because of. And uh, and thank you for, for for raising that because I had said that in the morning. And that's one of these, well, I won't say disadvantage, but the way morning services are structured, people you don't receive feedback. But I knew that there would be there'll be a couple of people who felt that way that all these things you are saying, Nancy, it really doesn't have that's so not me. But you see the little ones I find also are, are equally as destructive, you know, when unchecked, when left unchecked. In fact, what is even it's even the state of I am more righteous that we unconsciously fall into. That is even very dangerous, you know. That's the one that is false pride. Thank you very much. That's it. That's the one that is even more dangerous. Because before you know it, Scripture says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls, you know. Meanwhile, God is all about, look, you are precious to me. And there's a character development that needs to happen. This thing here, this jealousy, this anger, this unchecked anger, this... Um, bitterness, this, these things that you don't think are significant. They have the tendency to destroy you. They can destroy a job. They can destroy a potential valuable or vital relationship. They, can, they have the tendency to destroy. But because we have sat in our self-righteousness, again, where we have attributed it to the works and our efforts, I, the things that my friends were struggling with, I didn't struggle with them. I don't, I'd never lived like that. God, I'm, I've done all right by you, you know. But we enter into pride. And I mean, there are quite a number of scriptures that speak to the outcomes of such an unchecked um, distance. So thank you so much for bringing that dimension. Do we have any other questions? Okay, comments. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not a comment. Yeah, um, go ahead. I wanted to ask about how you, how you personally... Okay, so I have a very legalistic approach to the Bible sometimes. So when um, Samuel was talking about, no, you were talking, Daniel was talking about Bathsheba and what happened with David. Mm. There were other things that David did that should have been punished. I think when he went to get the bread in the temple and nothing happened to him. However, when I think about people like Saul before he became Paul, before he became Paul and the stuff he did to Christians, <laughs> and I think about if I was a Christian in that time and that same person is talking to me, he, uh, he won't talk to me. I'll have some, I have some really, really important questions for God. Like, what are you? Are you sure he shouldn't have? You, so my problem, my question is, in terms of consequences, um, especially with linked to feeling more righteous than people or wanting to assist God as his advocate on earth, how do you combat you know, all of that. Because I, I sincerely believe it's not necessarily very Christ-like when you're thinking, well, I didn't do this and look at what's happening to me or look at these situations that I'm dealing with and then see this person that seems to have done all these other things and probably deserves... I know that the Bible says, I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy, so that's there. But how do you deal with the thoughts that show up when there are consequences or lack thereof? That's a very deep question. <laughs> And we need to call the committee of elders. <laughs> it's, a, it's a deep question, but sorry, if I just contribute. Yeah, yeah go and ahead. Especially because, like, especially now, right, in our generation, uh, sorry, I hate to say this, but we have a lot of people who 
I'm sure I'm going to write to you, but who say stuff like, oh, you know, I pray five hours, I pray seven hours, I pray eight hours, right? And it's sort of like almost this legalistic idea that, okay, so if I don't wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm praying in tongues for three hours, then it means that I'm not doing something right. So I, I know I've battled with that. Like I've had to sit down and ask God, like, look, man, what's going on? I remember this one preacher and he was talking about how, you know, um, the reason why you fornicate is because there's no fire on your altar. So something if you pray in tongues. So, and I was just like, bro, really? Yeah, so how do you deal with that? Because there's no, the Bible doesn't say, oh, pray, pray X number of hours. It just says, it gives you sort of like a blanket statement, right? So, yeah. Of it that's actually able to pray the three hours because I know someone who can pray three hours, four hours, and then that person is there watching the person that's praying sometimes in the week or month and is accessing all sorts of mercy and grace. And it's like, wait, oh, <laughs> is there something I'm missing? Is there a, a, another Holy Spirit that I should be talking to? Just those thoughts. Sorry, sorry. So it's funny because you know, you know, this thing just reminds me of the prodigal son, <laughs> literally, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. I was going to bring that up to say that I was going to bring that up to say that sometimes our, uh, I think what we fail to realize is that the life we live does not end when we die. And and we often expect that the labors that we make in this life must be rewarded in this life alone. Whereas we find we forget that some of the stuff we're doing, the reward is not to be received here. There is more there, this is just a tiny, minuscule part of the life you are going to live. And so if you think about it, I mean, the Bible talks about treasures that are stored in heaven. If you think about it that way, your approach to a lot of the things that you do will, will change. And, and to, to address something that Ruby had mentioned, we often think about people who maybe they, they jay, they enjoyed life, they did everything they did, and, you know, nothing happened, they enjoyed um, you know, everything, and then you, yes, you are suffering, you are slaving away five hours, nine hours, and you're asking God, ah, but God, this thing no balance now. The truth is, when we get, God owes no man, when we get to heaven, we will, the Bible says every man will receive just recompense for the work that they've done in the body. And for the people, um, for, she, she used the example of Paul, someone like Paul, Paul persecuted Christians, he killed Christians, he did a bunch of stuff. And for that, for some of those things, he received a just recompense. Because he would tell you, they flogged me 200 minus 1. I chopped this. Shipwrecked, I chopped that one. Uh, this one, I chopped this. You know, his life was not easy. So we, again, we often think, and I remember, and I'm going to use a personal example. There's a family member of mine, an older family member of mine, who was an affluent, a very you know, influential person, rich and all of that. He did a bunch of stuff in his younger years. He you know, despised the wife of his youth and everything. And for the longest time, it looked like he was bawling out. Like there was no, he was healthy in his 80s. Everybody was looking, ah, Baba, you're still going. He's still going. I'm still living life. I'm still sleeping with women in his old age. But when, I mean, and I know this is not necessarily a good example, when the time came for the judgment hammer to come down, the kind of sickness that his body literally just, he, he, he became a waste. And nobody tells you that. You think, ah, you know, 60 years of kidney, but you, know, you don't get to enjoy the latter end of your life because of some of the decisions you made in your youth. So don't look at it as, ah, you know, me, I'm, so, I'm choosing to suffer as I enjoy, and then the, the reward no go balance. The truth is, and I'm, I'm, 
Sorry. I was just saying this to somebody in a message. We were talking about coming for evening service, ironically. And they were saying, hey, so much stress, you know, stretching and everything. God is a rewarder. Absolutely. That is, Paul tried to hammer this thing into people's minds. If you really believe that God is a rewarder, then you would know that whether I receive it on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity, God will not owe me anything. So that, that's what makes the work of righteousness truly worthwhile because you know that I will receive this reward somewhere along the line. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If I had anything to, without trying to say everything Demilady has said again, but if I had anything to add to that, you know, I'm reminded of scripture where Jesus would um, speak about the sower who went out to sow and um, the wheat and the tares and his disciples would ask or his, you know, servants would ask and he would say, let them grow together. Let both grow together. Let both grow together. So the life that we live, yeah, the 80-something, 90-something years here on earth is transient. This is not the real life. Hello. And I know that's probably brain busting for someone, but this isn't the real life. This isn't, this is, we're passing through. This is not our final destination. So our work is actually to be eternity focused, eternity ready. While we're earthly relevant, we need to know that the home we're building is not here. It's not in the mansion. It's not Banana Island. It's not in the US or in Canada. It's great to have a solid life here, but this cannot be all there is to us. And so when we are eternity focused, we understand and we appreciate these things better. And we're not so big on but God, I have offered my life. I have, you know, I have labored. I have, I have shed, I have sown tears, blood, sweat. And yet this other person looks like they have it all on a platter of gold. They have it really easy. You know, it looks like everything is working out for them. Meanwhile, I kept myself. The other person was like loose like a cannonball. And, you know, and we turn ourselves to, to assistant Holy Spirit that is judging the lives of men, you know. That is not our work. That is not our... And, and Jesus was really very big on love. And something I said this morning, I think it's useful to mention again for the benefit of those who are in there. Jesus was all grace and all truth while he was here on earth, you know. Uh, and it's important that we understand that certain things... You, I think the thing for us is... And, and Ruby, that question you asked, that is, is me at some point. Do you understand? Because sometimes I've asked to ask God, but God, this thing, what, is this person going to get away with it? Just like that, and, God, and the Holy Spirit is like, I don't understand. Are you now judge and jury and what, which one is your own? Just calm down. That's the, as in the process of letting go. What I have found, especially for when it came to like direct offenses at me. You know the kind of, what's the name of that guy that Paul said did me much wrong? <laughs> Alexander the Coppersmith. Yeah, yeah. You know that kind of Alexander the Copper, Alexander Copper, that's the only thing we saw about him in the scripture, is how Paul said he did me much harm. And we may have been in such a situation where you feel like there are actually people who have offended you and it will satisfy your carnal self to see judgments meted out on them. It's, no, 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 you're correct. It's okay, yes, I agree. Especially when you're... Be 
Because God deals with us as individuals. And it is so important for us to remember that. He deals with us as individuals. The same God that causes it to rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. He deals with us as individuals. So I know growing up, I'd always heard this thing that, look, you're on a, la you're on a, on a different side. Once you've, once you've surrendered your heart to God, it's like your, your whip and your measuring scale is higher than the person that has not surrendered to God because God is concerned about your development. He's invested in, in, in ensuring that you turn out well and stuff and stuff and stuff, you know. And I've wondered... That God, so is it because I have, isn't, if, so if I, are you saying that if I sing this scene and I was on the other side, my punishment won't be this deep? Is that what we're getting at now? You know, but that isn't it. That is not it. We are, we want to see the reward, the recompense of the wicked. We want to see it come upon them. In right before us. And God has a great sense of humor. He will deny you that pleasure. Because he needs you to, he will deny you that pleasure. <laughs> Never really had a bad boss. But you know what happened? Night to, I'm that kind of person that if you come to for me, I'll come to for you. That's the energy I give. Like, I match you. Do you understand? And this, I don't, I've never had a bad boss because God's grace. Maybe he knows me. <laughs> because even, every time I've got in trouble in my life is when I was fighting for somebody else that they were not treating justly. That's every time I've got into any major trouble in my life. I told the person, I will do my work nine to five. Five to when I go to bed, I'm sitting there about how God's judgment will meet the person. God, I won't, I won't, I won't like, oh, I'm cooking. No, I'll push you. I'll lead you to God's judgment and you fall inside by yourself. Do you understand? So it's not like... I love this. I won't... So, can, I won't and, and, and again, I will let you behave like yourself and it will just, say, you, just catch you. It's a scripture. So when are like, you carrying... one that does happen recently now. Mm. I'm just waiting for it to just... So... So here's the thing, and I love this, in fact, oh, exchange service, Jesus. I love this, I love where we've entered, but I knew this one I need to address. Because, you see, I said something in the morning, that everybody can find themselves in this scripture, in this Bible. You will find the one that applies to your matter. Hmm? So, we can go and we will read, give me one of those Psalms I used to read. Mm -hmm. We can go that route and read it, Psalm 19 and all the likes. And it's okay. But here is one thing that I have learned. Jesus would say, Moses said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That is the lower level. When it comes to the law, it's the lower level. I bring you and I present to you a higher level of living. You see, it's that higher level that me and you don't want to take. That's slap your left and turn your right. That is the one Jesus presented to us. He says that other one. I have not come to abolish the law. It is right. People are using it. It is working. But it is the lower level of living. I am calling you to a higher level of living. See, what I have found is when we help God with the battle, there is nothing for him to do. Yes. But when we, you are correct. 
So you change it for the benefit of his house. Too. So, no, again, let's be careful. Because there's a difference between calling out poor behavior um, or wrong behavior and applying mercy or revenging or anything like that. Those are two separate. When somebody has done wrong, it's like saying that somebody raped someone now, maybe raped a child, and then you say, you won't say anything because you love the person and you want, you want to, no, 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 no. <laughs> D, so, I mean, this one doesn't even need answer. It's, ah. <laughs> you're not there yet. You're on the journey. You're on the journey. So here's the thing. There's some, there's some issues that, I mean, you should not, again, Jesus was all grace and all truth. We cannot, in, the, in a bid to extend grace, then cover up truth. That's not who we are. Do you understand? So I don't know that what you have done is wrong. It is the I'm talking about the somebody offended me and I'm setting trap for them or I'm praying certain types of prayers to ensure I want to get my revenge on what it is they've done. That's what makes you happy because yes, it has the battle has been won, right? I agree with you, but I'm just saying to you. That there are certain instances, and you see, God has an amazing sense of humor. Yeah. And what I mean is this when there are certain things that God wants to, so if you are on level three and God needs for you to come to level four, level five, He wants to take you higher. And He knows that for you to be able to, I, I, there are certain things I want to release to you. There are certain, I want to release nations, I want to release industries, I want to, re, there are things I need to release to you. Yeah. But until I develop your character from this level, I will not be comfortable because I don't want to expose you unduly. Because right now, maybe the, the, the battles we are fighting that we are winning right now, are we saying, you know, these, uh, you know, people that are still doing shakere. There are certain places, and this is not even say maybe dark magic or anything, but there are certain places that you get into and you need to, this is how you need to do. Do you know what your call? Um, where you fold your arms and you let the God of angel armies fight your battle and until you get to that place where you can trust and say God this hurts but I'm carrying this pain I'm carrying this hurt and I am laying it at your feet that's even more dangerous sorry I wanted to that is more dangerous And that's what I was going to get in at with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. See, the day you say, somebody collected my eye, I want to collect my own back. You know what we have done? We have simply allowed the enemy come and make a case to say, ah, mercy care. The day somebody, this person collected tooth, they must collect her tooth back. Do you understand? Yeah. So we inhibit, not because God doesn't want to work, but because, again, I don't know how to express it without saying that. There is a legal order that God respects. So you see, this, this, this world, he has leased it to the sons of men. Because how does the scripture put it? So there's a world order. Yes, the earth he has given to the sons of men. There's a world order that God even respects. That's the truth. There is a system 
of living and doing in this world that he respects because, Holy Spirit, help me. How do I explain this thing now? I'm trying to remember the scripture. But you see, when God created the heavens and the earth, when he said the earth he has released to the sons of men, it doesn't mean that he cannot overturn the decisions and the decrees. That is where sometimes some things happen and it doesn't make any sense. That is the sovereignty of him coming to play. But he would allow certain things happen. You know, because the world exists by his wisdom as well. And by his intellect and his design, he has fashioned things. So there has got to be order. Even in the spirit realm, there is order. God respects hierarchy. And he, he, there's a protocol of heaven. And there are protocols by which the earth also is governed. So when that law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for an eye, and Jesus will say, come, I bring you something that is higher. You see, you, your enemies are in trouble when you step back and you let God fight. And we are able to appropriate mercy when we, how do, a friend of mine puts it this way, what I know to do in my power, I do not do in my wisdom. When we allow wisdom prevail and we step away from the situation, this hurts, this doesn't make sense, but God, I let it, I, I lay it at your feet. I leave it to you. I leave it to you. And we come, see First Corinthians 13, you know, I know it's the, it's the scripture we say, we, 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 need to, ah, we need to embody it. Even I am working progress on this First Corinthians 13. That's the truth. That's the quality of love and life of love that God is calling yeah, us. Yes, no, go ahead. No, I wanted to say something about um, what they were saying um, regarding consequences. I think someone said that um, um, something about that there will be someone who isn't maybe as righteous as you and then you know, they have, you know, nine better things are happening to them and then you that you're more righteous. And I just, I don't believe all consequences come from God. So there are some consequences that come from our own actions and from not being righteous. So it's just a result of your actions. But because sometimes I've made that mistake where I, you know, the consequence will come and I'll, you know, you'll be blaming God, you'll be saying, God, why me? Why me? Meanwhile, it's simply just, um, if you add two plus two plus two plus two, it's just a result of everything you've done, you know. So, I don't know. What do you think? Because I don't. I genuinely don't believe all consequences come from God. No, Cause, or none at all. So, whether from okay, Tobin has a wow, amazing. Okay then. So, when I say consequences, it doesn't necessarily mean from God. Scripture says, what you sow, you will reap. That's a consequence, right? So if you sow evil, well, you will reap evil. If you sow bad behavior, you will reap bad behavior. See, it's, 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 it's an understanding of, again, this pro the protocols we're speaking to, that there are protocols that undergird our existence here on earth. Okay? There are spiritual laws, there are principles, that even people that are unsaved, once they apply certain principles, it's like the principle of giving. Have you noticed how, and I know you, some of you guys may know it, you might find some people are really very wealthy. They are very good nature. They genuinely like people. They are just not saved. They're not born again. But they have good marriages. You know, they are doing well in their business because they respect people. They, they, they love people genuinely. They want to see people do good and all. Protocols. Are we saying that, I mean, the wealth is only 
apportioned to people who are saved. A lot of Christians are poor. Very poor. Why? Because the fundamentals, like loving your neighbor. The scripture will say, Jesus will say, the, the, the two most important laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. The two most important laws. People struggle to love people. Now, see, Christians are the most insensitive set of humans. Unfortunately, it's so sad because I'm a Christian. You and I are Christians. But that's the reality. We don't know how to love people. We are the ones that are tribalistic. We are the ones that see race. We see gender. We see hair color. We see everything. We are very quick to judge. You know, and the, everything but God. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the scripture. That's not the life we've been handed. The Christian life we've been called to is not one that judges. But how we got into this whole journey, and it's this thing, Pharisees and Sadducees, and behind the back, just be going up and down, and the only, the only holy creatures. So, my, my, my point is, gosh, what was even your question now? Did I get here? <laughs> Consequences, yes. So, and I'll give you an example. If you've ever had my God experience, I slept with somebody, first time ever, and I got pregnant. Is that not a consequence? There was no prayer I would not have prayed in that prayer. In fact, my favorite song in that season, for some who hey! I remember going to speak to a man of God in that season of my life. And he prayed for me. I said, he has prayed this kind of prayer for somebody before, laid hands on my belly. And that, the pregnancy did not exist anymore. Hmm. I was desperate. I needed it in that period in my life because I did not know how to deal with the shame, the everything. But let's just say that I stayed pregnant. Oh, very pregnant. There was nothing I did not drink or try to use. I was, I was very pregnant. So my point is, there are consequences for action. We, we say, is it, Jesus, is it God that sent me to go and have sex in the first place? So that's not his consequence now. It wasn't him that did anything. It was just the law, protocols. There are some people that have been doing it very smart. They've been finding ways of getting, um hmm Nothing happened to them, but there are consequences. Whether you were trying to debate whether God permitted or God does not permit, there are consequences. Toby wanted to share something. Just, I was actually calling you back to something you said about, because you didn't finish your sentence, about um, a situation, for example, where you are, you are distinguishing between um, letting things go and such and such, and then not letting things, like, for example, let's say someone raped someone, and then you're covering it up because grace. And I, I wanted to speak to that because that is something that tends to happen in very interestingly hyper-Christian conservative families where some very terrible thing will happen. And you're like, eh, forgive. I'm like, well, no, you did this bad thing. And we need to call you out. And you need to not do it again. So I'm just trying to figure out how to now, because we're unfortunately in this culture, we're immersed in it. Obviously, we're not of it. But how to, how to talk about it and how to deal with it or navigate it without... Well, I, shall I say being, like, entering revenge? Because mm. it gets to a point where you're so frustrated. You're like, okay, you know what? Something's going to have to happen to you because I can't see how you take advantage of someone or rape someone, like, just speaking plainly, rape someone or hurt someone within your family or someone close, someone who's respected you, and then you're, uh, you go and, you know, the person reports, you, come, you surround yourself with elders who are like, oh, just forgive, forgive. That's not how you, that's, that's not how that doesn't work. See, and it's, I would like I would like Demilade to answer since he's indicated in stretch. But just to mention that, and what Ruby says is so important, and it's interesting that these are some of the things we won't talk about this month because 
they, I find that under the guise of our Christian faith, there has been a lot of, there's been a lot of hurt and pain. And see, there's a difference between escalating bad behavior and forgiveness. And it's very important. And I know that part of the scripture, interesting, that has been used to justify this has been the scripture where Jesus would speak, Jesus and the adulterous woman, or Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. is one of the scriptures people use to defend this position, to say, eh, but Jesus did not condemn the woman. He did not stone her, you know. He said the people without sin should go ahead and stone her and all. Some, but Jesus addressed the woman at the core. And let's not forget that. The challenge is a lot of the, uh, the position that people take when they say that whole, you know, you need to forgive and forget. The one that even blows my mind is the forgive and forget. Forgive, yes, forget. As though it's an immediate, somebody has hurt you, somebody raped you, and then you say forgive and forget here and now. And I know it's deep. I know it's, it's deep because if you've ever been abused before, you want to see instant revenge on your abusers. Those are one of these instant times that you want to see judgment meted out. You want to see the recompense of the wicked upon them. But I find that even in that, for any individual who's gone through that, even in that space, there is a work of righteousness God works out in you as an individual. It is hard. Again, speaking to the question she asked me when we started about this gift of righteousness. Am I just supposed to be happy with it? But there is a work of righteousness that God works out in you as an individual that far outweighs whether the person involved you know, gets punished or not whether he dies, whether his dick shrivels, whether whatever happens to him happens. You know, Demilani, please go ahead and answer. Um, so I want to just remind, to remind all of us that the, um, so for those, for those, for you guys who are legal minds, you know there's that balance that, that Lady Justice holds. The counterweight to every sin that any man could ever commit is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the minute you hold up the rape, the killing, the murder of a human being or whatever, and you put it on the balance against the weightiest sacrifice of all, the death and re the death of Jesus Christ, the minute you look at that thing, there is nothing you want to put on that scale that can overpower the death of Jesus Christ. And, and that needs to be the ultimate. The, the, I found for most of us who are looking for immediate recompense, there is a portion of ourselves that we want to validate. And I want to be clear, when I see child rapists, child molesters, I want something to happen to them, and I want it to be drastic, and I want us to put up a signboard to let all others know if you do this thing, this is what's going to happen. But again, you have to understand that the person who is in charge of adjudicating that case is weighing up this person's sin against the death of Christ. And that thing always makes me remember why mercy is important. Because if, if 
we suddenly use our hand to tip the scale towards, you know, just towards justice. What we do is we negate or we nullify or even water down the sacrifice of Christ. And that has um, applications for us. If we suddenly say that the death of Christ is no longer as valuable or no longer as weighty, then that means that some of the sins that I commit today and some that I may commit in the future will warrant my own, my own death. So I think that is always what I... And whenever I see things like this, you know, even with the war in Ukraine, that is always at the forefront of my mind. And it reminds me, what I want you to take from that is I want you to consistently remember that the, the death of Christ is so, much, is so much weightier than you realize. When I see somebody walking away from sin, I'm like, man, this reminds me just how weighty the sacrifice of Christ is. And if that, if that is on your mind, you will see that eventually God will start to sway your, minds more, your mind more, your, your thinking more towards mercy as opposed to justice. So. Oh, uh, no, navigating, I totally agree. And BWS said that. I totally agree. Truth must be paramount. Truth has to come out. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with all these systems where they try and, you know, truth is truth and truth must always be apparent. Sometimes when it's even covered up, we do the people, the, we do the perpetrator a great it's disservice. disservice. Yes. Because they yes. might, they should get help but we prevent them from getting help because we don't want people to know. And so they go ahead and do it again, again. and again and yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to say this. Truth must, it must always come out and it should be clear because, again, when truth is subverted, it sets a bad precedent. But the thing I want to say is there are a lot of times when we, we use the burden of truth to feed our own egos, to shame people, to, 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 to remove what could have been a redeemable situation, we totally uncover that. It's like using a shovel and somebody says, oh yeah, dig two meters deep. And you have no idea what two meters is. You just go and you, you dig it, however. So again, and this is just the last thing I want to use. The Bible says that the wisdom of, that comes from above, it has certain, um, certain um, you know, peaceable, yeah. easy to be entreated, full of good fruit. And that's the thing. If the truth that you are advocating for cannot extract good fruit out of it, then it's wrong. If the truth that you are advocating for has hypocrisy in it, that means if that same, if you cannot apply the same level of truth to your own life and say, me, myself, oh, this is what I do, if you can't bring that truth out, then you are, you are ultimately applying the wisdom that comes from hell, not the wisdom that comes from above. All right. Okay, we'll take Toby and then we'll take. All right. Interesting discussions, right? And I think BWS mentioned something about higher life, and we'll be talked about King Saul and David, right? And looking at the life of David, trying to piece all of this together, I think that life is like a life of love, as in it's a place of you want to see judgment. God, this person did this to me immediately, you know? And there's a place of you taking the place of God which is a difficult thing to do, and saying God really wants all men to be saved, right? On the cross, right, Jesus will forgive the people that literally killed him, right? And I think that is why David really had a great relationship with God, because Saul was going to kill him, and when Saul died, he mourned. 
Abner was against him at a particular point in that time. When Abner died, he mourned. When Absalom died, he mourned. Because he understood that life is bigger than all of this. That God really loves everyone. And when you look at it from that aspect, that God really loves this person I don't like, right? You would consider having mercy on the person. And there's also a place of, we are so self-righteous. When, when things happen to us, we feel like we are right. And we feel like we have never made any sin before. So we want judgment. We want judgment. And there's this particular movie, The Shark. I don't know if you have seen it. And if God was to really deliver judgment to every single person, <laughs> all of us, we are all gone. <laughs> right. So I think just a place of love. The higher life is a life of love, where we love people the way God loves them. Let's okay. take him, okay, and then we'll take you. Yeah. Um, who wants to go home? Yeah. No, no. So, I was, I, I was going to talk about, you know, about what she said, that you know, there's a way people, most especially culturally, when someone does something bad, they try to, you know, to push it down. And So, what I'm just trying to say is, there's always a place for accountability and for everybody to see that things don't have to repeat themselves again. Yeah, God loves everybody. God loves us. Irrespective of what you've done, irrespective of what we have been through, Jesus died for us on the cross. But, I mean, there was a case that of a lady who, I mean, she had a thing to do with a child. And unfortunately, unfortunately, he got to get to church. I mean, and the pastor knew about it. But it wasn't like it was blown out of proportion and everybody knew. And this lady wanted to get it. She got a job in a school where she was going to handle children. And the school called her to call the pastor for a reference. Luckily, she put them as a reference. But the pastor was like, no. Like, I mean, we know God has forgiven you. You've moved past it. But you can't always be in that same position again because you will probably do the same thing. So, so in the place of forgiveness, in the place of we trying to understand, we are human beings as well. People are going to tend to always want to do the same thing. So I think as Christians, we always put the part of accountability away when it comes to people doing wrong. And that is what, you know, let me makes us become hypocritical at the end of the day. Yeah. Thank you. And what Dami is asking, I mean, I didn't hear the question, but based on your response, I, I can imagine because, and I know so, there are certain people's lives that have literally halted because of a misdemeanor. And it looks like people are unwilling to give them an opportunity to prove themselves. See, nobody wants to be, to be caught in that situation where you now regret that it's me that puts my hand, puts my blood. You now say, you did it again, you know. Um, that is where the mercy of God comes to play. That, that, that is where the things that only God can do comes to play. Except, and, and I've heard stories of people who, whose lives have dramatically turned around, you know, because they genuinely repented and they had changed and opportunities came from the least expected sources. You know, either people who overlooked their uh, records or, you know, people who just had a word they were inspired to take them and give them a second chance. 
you know, and they did not blow it up. But whether that pastor did right, I, to be honest, I'm asking myself genuinely, would I do the same thing as that pastor did? Most likely. Most likely. And not because um, I, would, I would vouch for you in any other job that did not have to do with children. Especially where you have not demonstrated that you have changed. So, have you undergone counseling? Have you gone through therapy? Have you? Now, maybe if we've done all that, then I can say, okay, maybe this person has. But with close supervision, I can put a caveat there or whatever. But maybe that person was unwilling to take that chance. Because, again, what we do in church is to expect that the person has changed, the power of God has come over the person's life, and the person is a new, is a new creature. Now, I'm not disputing that that doesn't happen. It does happen. But how do you, what is the test for it? Except the Lord says, gives a word. Would I be comfortable? Because that could be my children's school. It might even not, it might be not even my children, but do I want to expose other children to a, a predator, you know, who you cannot say whether the person has changed or not. So it's really dicey. Hence why we need God's wisdom in making these decisions. And we cannot be about the flesh. And we're talking about it this morning. Our decisions cannot be made, made based on our five senses. How we are feeling. Oh, this person should have changed. Or I should be merciful. It cannot be about that. We have to be led. Okay. I think we've come to that. Samuel, you still have a question? Comment and so I think you know consequences. I find out that again, like Toby said, it tends to be more about love. The conversation you know we should be having now, you know, and what God is trying to do in our hearts. So take for instance, um, the times I get offended by people, and I and I and I realize that offense has been a strong weapon of the devil in my own life personally. I think similar to what Fumi said, and. You know, someone would do something that will hurt me. And the thing about me personally is I don't talk about my feelings like that. So I tend to bottle it up. But I remember a message that Pastor Podio, I heard from um, um, Pastor Podio preach one time that, see, in those moments, you know, pray for that person. And what, what I've realized, because sometimes I get, listen to messages, I'm like, but, but what's the end result? How do we apply this thing? How, what's the take home? But I realized that, the moment I'm praying for people, it's almost like there's something happening in my own heart. I tend to even think about why the person might have done what they did. Now, prior to, I might not have even given room for any excuse. What are you, what are you talking about? How could they have done that? How could she have done that? But as I'm praying, you know, and it might not happen instantly, to be honest. Sometimes it would take days. But there's that healing process that will cause in my own heart. And it's something I've adopted for a while. And I'm talking about the longest time. Um, and I'm just, I'm, so I'm just saying this to someone out there that probably is struggling with, you know, offense. You know, these are things are things that you can actually just take and apply. Pray for that person. You know, again, I, I, I think that's very important. Praying for people and, you know, letting God heal your heart. Um, as opposed to you seeking for that judgment or instantaneous um, judgment to fall on them. Yeah. Thank you. Fortune, thank you very much for sharing that. Okay, let us pray. I'm going to ask that we just take a minute um, and talk to God tonight. What you've heard, the part that applies to you, um, if you're asking God to increase your love walk, um, 
if you're asking him to grant you grace to forgive or to let go, if you're asking him to heal your heart of every pain, every hurt, every offense, uh, if you're asking him to help you um, live this life of righteousness, to be in right standing with him and to do right by him, would you just go ahead and just talk to God tonight? If you're asking for the help of the Holy Spirit to enable this practice of righteousness where your, your flesh is subdued completely and when your spirit man is enabled to please God, your spirit man is enabled to live um, as God intended, would you go ahead and just talk to him tonight? Uh, if anyone is uh, lacking wisdom, lacking um, and, and requires the help of the Holy Spirit, please go ahead and ask tonight in the name of Jesus. And if you need uh, friends that you want to be accountable to, if there is any vice um, that you're trying to come out of, any, any shackle of addiction that needs to be broken, tonight we agree in the name of Jesus that it is broken. We agree and we declare over you that you are set free completely. In the name of Jesus, we declare over you, Scripture says that he that the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. So we declare that you are free indeed. You are free to live this life of righteousness. You are free to live a life that is worthy of, of, of God's calling. You are free to live this life and to maximize this gift that God has freely given to you. Uh, you are free to, to develop in your walk with him and in your intimacy with God. We declare over you that it is well with you in the name of Jesus and that you attract um, godly friends, that you are separated from um, workers of iniquity, from ungodly influences in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you and we just speak. Go ahead and just speak over your week. Make a declaration over your week. Would you declare that your week is blessed? Declare that your week is fruitful. Declare that all things are working for your good according to God's purpose and plan for your life. In the name of Jesus, declare that it's only the counsel of the Lord that will stand over your life, over lives of, the, of your family members, over lives of members of the LifePoint community. In the name of Jesus, declare peace all around. And by extension, just pray and speak peace over Ukraine. In the name of Jesus, that the peace of God would steal every raging storm. In the name of Jesus, would you go ahead and declare that you attract the favor of God? You are clothed with favor as a shield. In your going and your coming this week, it is well with you. You are blessed. You are highly favored. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being at the exchange. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.